This presentation was from Yorks Australia 2017, held in Sydney. For more presentations from this and other conferences, please visit yorksaustralia.com.au. The first time I met Andy, the reason I liked Andy was I walked into his workshop and this was, um, I don't know, this could have been like 2003. It was pretty early in Web Direction days. Like it was a really long time ago. I'm not making you feel old. Well, you can, you can feel however old you like. Um, and I walked in and he's playing jam songs, which was a you know, pretty good bonus for me. And he wasn't playing Town Like Malice. So I'm like, okay, he likes the jam. He properly likes the jam. I'm going to like this guy. But we are excited both to have him at the conference and Andy has recently moved to Australia. And Andy, I'm going to say this, he really is one of the old guys of the web. Um, he was one of the... <laughs> what, and what I mean by that... What are you laughing at, He started at, when he was three, but he has been... I think he wrote his first book at four... He has been one of the leaders in web design. I'm, and I'm, I'm serious about that bit. Um, and it's great to have him in Australia where we can get him involved in more things and he can teach us <coughs> more stuff. <laughs> and now he's not going to like me at all. And he'll never tell me when good bands come to Sydney that I miss out on. <laughs> Thank you, Andy. Thanks. Next time I'll tell you when I'm going to go and see the specials. That would be good. Good afternoon. It's really fantastic to, to be here. Um, thank you for coming and thanks to Donna and all the organisers from UX Australia for inviting me up here to cause trouble for the next kind of half an hour or so. Um, this has been a brilliant day, hasn't it? And we've got another one to go as well. So in March, I, uh, I moved from the UK. I don't know whether anybody's ever been to the UK. It's a small country that's in the middle of a colossal cock-up <laughs> at the moment. And uh, I took over as uh, head of design at Ansarada, and we're making some, some exciting designs. They're very much a combination of editorial and product design. We're building a design team, by the way, so if you're interested in finding out about joining us, then uh, give me a shout later on in the day. And before that, I worked at my company called Stuff and Nonsense, where our goal was always to make distinctive, creative work. And we wanted to make work that goes beyond just making a digital product or a website easy to use. Because to me, Design is more than about solving problems. It's about communication, inspiring brand loyalty, and encouraging affinity. So a good deal of my work has involved designing systems and pattern libraries and style guides for clients, including Greenpeace and Sun Life Insurance and WWF. And these tools have become incredibly fashionable. You know, we've got articles and talks, even entire conferences like Clarity that are devoted to them. And perhaps the most well-known design system methodology is Brad Frost's Atomic Web Design. Has everybody heard of this? Now, Brad wrote a book about Atomic Web Design, and he was kind enough to include me in the acknowledgments. He said to Andy Clark, who's been talking about design systems and atoms before it was the hip thing to do, 
thank you for all your writing and thinking, but you're still not getting my dog. My Instagram feed is full of Brad's dog, Ziggy, and other people's babies at the moment. I'm not sure whether that's normal. So in 2012, I introduced this idea of designing atoms and elements, which is a process that separates what I call the atmosphere, or perhaps you call it the DNA of a design, from a responsive layout. And we fast forward to today, where style guide is an umbrella term for several types of design documentation. You know, they might be static PDF style or visual identity guides. They illustrate how a brand should be presented and how the assets should be used across media. Or voice and tone guides, which describe a brand's personality through the way it speaks to its customers. Or front-end code guidelines for developers that stipulate coding standards to encourage better collaboration across different teams. And then finally, component or pattern libraries, which commonly contain examples of how to style these atoms, molecules, organisms, and templates that Brad Frost describes in Atomic Web Design. So in my work, and I imagine in much of yours, when we talk about designing a style guide for the web, what we mean is a combination of visual identity guides and component or pattern libraries. Now, these all offer something different, but more often than not, they have something in common. Can you guess what that is? They all look ugly enough to have been designed by someone who really enjoys configuring a router. No, that was mean. Not everyone's going to think that an unimaginative style guide is a problem. After all, as long as it contains the information that people need, how it looks shouldn't matter. Or should it? Well, here's the thing. Beauty complements functionality rather than detracts from it. Creative design enhances someone's experience and engagement with a style guide, and it amplifies its content. And that means to be effective, a style guide should present its content in appealing and engaging ways. Now, recent interest in design systems has also meant that reproductions of corporate design manuals have become really popular. This one's from British Rail. I ordered mine online didn't arrive on time. <laughs> Not bloody cheap. You ever got a train in the UK? The NASA Graphic Standards Manual, this describes the design of everything from a business card to the branding on a booster rocket. This is the New York City Transit Authority Graphic Standards Manual that includes the most complete examples of how to use Helvetica that I've ever seen. <laughs> and finally, this is a mouthful, the official symbol of the American Revolution Bicentennial Graphic Standards Manual explains not only how to use the symbol, but how it was created. And this is an important point. I'll come back to this later. 
And there are now collections of design guidelines online, including this one, which includes work from Apple and IBM and Microsoft. Now, the problem with uninspiring style guides is not everyone takes the same information away from them. You know, if you're looking for markup and styles to code a media component, you're probably going to be a technical person. Whereas if you need to understand the balance of sizes across a typographic hierarchy, you're more likely to be creative. And what you need from a style guide is different, and yet so many style guides follow the same patterns. So I'm going to start by looking at color, which is one of the most important ingredients in design. So color communicates personality, it creates mood, and it's vital to understanding an interaction vocabulary. So you'd think that style guides would present color in any number of imaginative ways. But you'd be disappointed. Because the most inspiring that you'll find looks like a collection of chips from a Bunnings paint chart. This is Lonely Planet's Rizzo, and it does a great job of separating design elements from UI components, but you're going to struggle to get a feeling for Lonely Planet's design by looking at these color chips. Greenpeace's Worldwide Style Guide takes the same approach, as does Sky's old web toolkit. And this is the Times' functional palette. Now, gov.uk which, let's be honest, is not a website known for its creative flair, varies this approach by using circles, which I find a bit strange, because circles don't appear anywhere else in the branding or the design. On the plus side, though, their designers have provided some context by categorizing colors by usage, such as text and links and backgrounds and more. Google's material design offers an embarrassment of colors, but most helpfully, it also advises how to combine its primary and accent colors into usable palettes. Now, few style guides offer explanations, and even less by way of inspiring examples. Most are extremely vague when they describe color. Use color as a presentation element for either decorative purposes or to convey information. The Government of Canada's Web Experience Toolkit states, rather obviously. Adding more colors to their palette has apparently made Adobe a rich, dynamic, and multi-dimensional company. Who knew? And I'm really unsure what makes the draft US web design standards colors a distinctly American palette. But it's going to have to work bloody hard to achieve its goal of communicating warmth and trustworthiness after six months of bloody Donald Trump. <laughs> We're going to build great style guides. People won't believe it. They're going to be so great. Now, the University of Oxford, it's much more helpful by explaining how and why to use their colors. They say, the dark Oxford blue is used primarily in general page furniture. I love that term, furniture. 
such as the backgrounds on headers and footers. And the designers at Open Table, they've considered how to explain the hierarchy of their colors by presenting them and supporting colors in various size chips. So it's obvious which colors are primary, supporting, or accent, or neutral without having to say so. Foursquare helpfully prescribe the percentages of color that make their marketing materials distinctive. But there are so many more imaginative ways that we can present color. Steele's brand book, which is, I think, itself a great example of thoughtful graphic design, it couldn't be clearer when it says, use this color with this color. <laughs> Love that. And it presents its information clearly and in a way that's consistent with the Steele brand. The designers at Alberta's corporate identity manual cleverly combine their colors with images of the region that inspired them. And larger blocks of color give people a stronger feeling for a design without making it difficult to find information about those colors. And finally, a style guide should demonstrate the interplay of color and typography to explain to people and help them understand what's acceptable in terms of color contrast accessibility. And for some organizations, brand books have developed into an art form. And if you find these things as inspiring as I do, just remember that it's not enough just to simply copy their appearance. We should turn that inspiration into designs that work for our medium. For example, this is a page from the Barbican's brand book PDF, and it suggests to me SVG shapes and CSS blend modes. This distinctive Macmillan Cancer Support visual identity has been brought to every page of their brand guidelines. And their color chips are matching their visual style. And we get a much better understanding of their visual identity when those same colors are used in other imaginative ways. So, of course, living style guides and pattern libraries, they need to present information about color values. And this is a fabulous opportunity to be creative. You know, we can make an interactive UI that helps everybody get the information that they need. The UK, sorry, the Royal Mail, is one of Britain's most recognizable brands. And this page from their brand book is especially effective because it brings color and iconography and typography together onto one single page, and it creates an immediate impression. And what's more iconic than the Royal Mail livery? Now, color chips can be an effective way to present color information, but they don't have to be rectangular. Filling playful shapes with colors can better connect them to a brand. The designers at frozen yogurt maker Jogen Fruz's brand manual did exactly that. They don't just explain their colors. They tastefully display them inside silhouetted tubs of frozen yogurt, conveying the personality as well as the color information. Style guides with personality make a bigger impression. This is from Bing's product guidelines, and it brings together their color palette, graphic styles, logo typography to demonstrate how they combine to create Bing's visual identity system. 
And I believe that style guides should inspire as well as to inform the people that use them. So I kept this in mind when I was working on creating a series of inspired guide design templates. I'm actually launching these today. In fact, I'm launching them right now. Uh, they're available to buy. That's my cheap plug. Um, for only $279. And you get an extra discount code, by the way, for, just, for, just for attendees of the conference. And these are style guide templates that I hope are beautiful as well as functional. And there are six sets, and each one contains about 20 pages of design principles and colors and logos and typography, form elements and buttons, and all the interactive and navigation elements. We're really lucky now, code-wise, because CSS custom properties now have excellent browser support, and they're fabulous for making color changes across a style guide quick and simple. And if you don't want Node.js or NPM or any other complicated technical solutions to get in the way of making a style guide, just develop them with semantic HTML and CSS and SVG and maybe a little bit of native JavaScript. And you shouldn't need a framework or any particular software or tool set to make an inspiring style guide. So remove all of the dependencies where you can. And if you want to improve how you present color in a style guide, there's plenty that we can do. You know, for a start, we needn't confine color information just to the palette page in a style guide. We should find imaginative ways to display color across several pages to show it in context with other parts of the design. So these are some cover pages um, that make an immediate impression. And a visual hierarchy can be easier to understand than labeling colors as primary, supporting, or accent. So what we should do is to find creative ways to present that hierarchy. So we might use panels of different sizes or arrange boxes on a modular grid or fill entire pages with color. You know, don't limit yourself to rectangular color chips. Use circles or other irregular shapes that might be uh, created with SVG. And if irregular shapes are part of your brand, you can fill those shapes with CSS and then wrap text around them using CSS shapes. This is a project that I did last year for WWF UK, and I redesigned their fundraising and adoption pages. And to deliver the designs within the short time that their budget allowed, I first made a simple design system and a style guide. So I took colors from their palette and assigned a different one to each of the species that are available for adoption. And then I incorporated light and dark tints of each color into this interactive color wheel where each slice is a link to more information about the species and that color. The style guide includes important information about color contrast and accessibility, alongside examples of how the combinations of colors should be used. And for the style guides that I design, I try to go beyond simply documenting color palettes and type styles. And I describe visually what they mean for a brand. For example, this is a, a recent project for Sun Life Insurance in the UK, and I describe their colors and how to use them across a series of art-directed pages. So these reflect the lively personality of the Sun Life brand. 
and information about hex and RGB values and SAS variables and when to use their colors for branding or interaction or messaging. It's all there, but it's in a format that can appeal to both creative and technical people. And I've also included information about color contrast accessibility because understanding why certain combinations of colors are inaccessible, it can reduce testing time and it can avoid arguments about color choices. And I work to find distinctive ways to present color to better represent a brand and to inspire designers. So for Sun Life, I made these header graphics that show their personality has a fun side. And I experimented with ways to communicate color hierarchy through various sizes and quantities of their trademark circle device. So alongside color, typography is likely to be the defining aspect of any design. And we're very fortunate now to be able to use any number of web fonts. We're not only limited to what's installed on a person's device. So you might imagine that with so many beautiful typefaces available to use, style guide designers would constantly create inspiring ways to present them. You'd be disappointed. Even Adobe, who own Typekit and numerous other typefaces, have failed to make the most of their fabulous fonts. Most pattern libraries offer documentation, but not inspiration. And while information about type sizes is important, so is the context in which the type's used, and the treatment of type at different sizes, of screen widths, and the way in which type elements interact with each other. And most style guides fail in demonstrating even the best examples, including this gel from Westpac. It shows only a typeface's basic set of characters and not the context, including other elements or white space. You know, as it's a publication with mostly written content, it would be more inspiring and informative to see examples of actual headings instead of Greeking text inside the Times' style guide. And people use the quick brown fox jumps over the lazy dog as it contains every letter in the English alphabet, but we can use our imagination to better demonstrate the characteristics of type quicker than any fox and more, with more careful consideration than a lazy dog. You know, over the past few years, I've been rediscovering the work of some accomplished art directors and graphic designers because, you know, I studied fine art. I didn't study graphic design. So a lot of this decades-old work is really new to me. And in particular, I've been inspired by Neville Brodie's really distinctive layout and typography design for the Face magazine in the early 80s. Anybody except me and Donna old enough to remember the face? Oh, a few old farts in the room. You know, <laughs> learning about this work, it's convinced me that we can do so much more to communicate our use of type within a style guide. So by looking at inspiration from other medium, including print, we can learn ways to combine color and typography to better communicate the spirit of a brand as well as how to use the assets. The New York City 
Transit Authority Graphic Standards Manual, it immerses a reader in the details of Helvetica. You know, it showcases not just the letters, but all the important and often fascinating numerals that so often get forgotten when people make style guides. And by viewing these characters close up, we can get a better feel for what gives them their personality. And when illustrating type, we should also explain how its characteristics of size and thickness and weight inform the design of other elements, including symbols. And understanding how to design typography so that it's legible and readable when presented light on dark is something that's missing from most of the style guides I've seen. As is how typefaces work in combination with other icons and symbols. This is a page from the New York City Transit Authority Graphic Standards Manual. And it does a fabulous job at demonstrating how Helvetica's numerals and letters combine to create a design which would look quite at home on the New York Metro. And Style Guide should inspire designers by demonstrating particular applications for typography and other design elements. The NASA graphics manual does exactly that. It starts with NASA's iconic logo. And I really enjoy how NASA's designers have explained the background of the typefaces that they've chosen. I know from experience that including explanations like this can really help people to realize that fonts are the result of a creative process that should be supported by buying them. And they're not just commodities that come installed on someone's device. NASA demonstrates how to use their typography on signage as well as on vehicle livery. And it's important to demonstrate how to use typography on even the most mundane items. So these are uh, paper forms from NASA, but they could easily be email newsletters or uh, signatures, um, all of which would benefit often from better typographic design. And in a style guide, typography pages can include examples of cases and styles and weights of primary and supporting typefaces. And we should include information about white space and demonstrate how type treatment should vary when presented light on dark. And as a design often includes a supporting as well as a primary typeface, we should devise interactive ways to show the relationships between them. Many typefaces contain distinctive letters or numerals or symbols, so offer some space to showcase them. You know, rather than overlook numerals, design pages to show when and why someone should choose the numerals from a supporting rather than a primary typeface. And pages of numerals can be fun, so we should find ways to display them that are as attractive as they are useful. You know, to give people a better understanding of how to use them, as well as breaking down type into component parts, it's important to show them in combination with other elements. And we should provide extra context by demonstrating a type alongside a typographic scale and then provide information about color at the same time. We should use the process of designing a style guide to expand our repertoire of designs for elements that often get forgotten, like puddle and block quotes. 
and take the opportunity to bring designers and developers together around the style guide to talk about the creative possibilities without sacrificing performance or responsiveness. So without guidelines to follow, when I was designing for WWF, I had to think really carefully about how to set their already chosen typeface. So I experimented by making very simple HTML type sheets, and then I tested them on several devices so that I could understand the minimum and maximum sizes that I could use. And the style guide that I developed for WWF, it includes these organisms, but it also includes full templates to give the fullest impression of the typographic design. And I took a more... A similar approach to the more recent work for Sun Life. So this is demonstrating the personality of their vague, rounded typeface through this interactive UI that includes information about the modular scale and use of color. And the Sun Life style guide includes larger organisms um, and banners and common navigation to ensure that all of those parts combine to create a coherent whole. You know, to be effective, a style guide's typography shouldn't be reduced to its component parts. It should instead be seen as an ensemble of type elements that each play a part in the design. Now, graphic images and symbols and icons are an important element in the design of many digital products and websites. Let's turn the spotlight on how style guides routinely display iconography. The Code for America style guide presents icons at different sizes, but the designers at Clear Left haven't explained how the design of those icons should adapt when they're reproduced at different sizes. They've also missed an opportunity to demonstrate adaptability and responsiveness by not presenting alternative icon versions using, let's say, the picture element. You know, I wish that the designers of Mapbox's style guide had thought harder about designing an imaginative interface that makes the most of these great icons. And sadly, Atlassian's style guide says nothing about how to create icons that match their existing set. Meanwhile... Back at gov.uk, I finally find those circles. Now, it's easy, really easy, to poke fun, especially at gov.uk. But it's hard to get the design of a style guide right because designers and developers need something different from them. You know, developers might need file names or CSS attribute values Designers might need to know how to create icons with the same visual style as the existing ones. Yes, satisfying both might be tricky, but the challenge isn't any more difficult than those that we face every day when we're designing digital products and websites. You know, I'm convinced that we can do better. You know, you might feel a whiff of nostalgia when you look at British Rail's corporate identity manual. You know, this iconic visual identity extends to locomotives and the uniforms that people wear when they used to run them. And the best style guides explain the why as well as the how. 
This is especially true when it comes to the design of logo marks and symbols. You know, I didn't study graphic design, so I'm fascinated by the explanations about how these symbols are created. Understanding the thinking that went into designing something can explain and help people to appreciate how and where to use variations of them. So this matters more than ever now when a symbol could be reproduced across any number of different devices and responsive style guides can themselves demonstrate the approximate size or version of a symbol so that it remains clearly legible. This is especially important when light color symbols are used against a dark background. Now, color and icons and type should all complement each other within a design, and style guides should demonstrate how to combine these elements to achieve the most effective result. I love, I love the precision involved in designing this signage. Is it only me that thinks that this is the best design website button of all time as well? Love that. You know, knowing how an icon's been designed goes hand in hand with understanding how to use it. And fully appreciating principles and proportions makes working an icon into a design at the right size and with the appropriate amount of white space around it much easier. Of course, not every icon or symbol needs precision. I am always amused uh, when I read that to make the Skype cloud, we can use circles, any size and placement and any shape, but just make sure it looks cloudish. Love that. Really love that. In stark contrast, the official symbol of the American Revolution Bicentennial Graphic Standards Manual goes into great detail when it describes how their symbol was created. And the manual painstakingly describes maintaining proportions between the symbol and the surrounding text. And reproductions of graphic manuals like the symbol of the American Revolution Bicentennial are the perfect place to look for inspiration to improve the beauty and effectiveness of style guides in our component libraries. So the style guide that I created for Sun Life, I went beyond simply documenting the icons that I've chosen and worked the icons themselves into the style guide to add personality. As with almost all of Sun Life's style guide pages, the icons, were, the icons page was thoughtfully art-directed to explain the anatomy of an icon and how to design one with the correct proportions and then when and where to use it. So I actually adjusted the Sun Life logo so that each of the circle is 75% larger than the one that came before it in the sunrise. And the style guide then explains how I use those same proportions to create a grid which has become the foundation of all their future icon designs. You know, I described how to use those same principles to create new graphic illustrations so that every graphical illustration has a relationship to the proportions of the Sun Life logo. And explaining these processes clearly to future designers is going to help to maintain standards and consistency as the collection of icons and illustration grows. And because showing is always better than telling, I use those same graphic illustrations right across to bring that Sun Life style guide to life. I took the same approach with their, 
bubbles which were a natural fit for help text and messaging online. And in all the work that I do, I use creative design to improve not only how something looks, but also how effective it is. Now, style guides should be much more than just guides to a library of patterns. They can inspire people to make better designs. They can teach people the value of good design and why it's important to keep standards high. If you're technical, a style guide is the perfect place to experiment if you've been aching to try new design or layout techniques like CSS Grid or Flexbox away from the constraints of browser support. You know, I want to stretch expectations about what style guides that are developed with HTML and CSS can look like by making style guides that are full of subtle blend modes and calc and media queries. And I hope that these will inspire people to learn about these technologies. You know, a style guide is also the perfect place to write about the history of your design. These are stories that often get lost, particularly in the fast pace of today's design and development environments. So instead of just showing your finished work in a case study on a website's portfolio, write about the thought processes and show your design's evolution. You know, this, is, this information is important in helping people document the history of the web. You know, when I designed for WWF, I devoted several pages to explaining how and why I designed an unusual asymmetrical grid. And I showed the steps that I'd taken, and I showed the tools that I'd used. And parts of the design for WWF were based on a modular grid system. So the style guide was a perfect place for me to write about that system and then help educate designers who'd be using it on future projects. You can't see that on the screen. It just looks like a white box. You know, the best design systems are based on a solid set of principles. So it's important that a style guide explains them really well. Design principles are something that Shopify's Polaris does extremely well. You know, hats off to Shopify. I think this Polaris is the best style guide I've seen all year. You know, it does so many things right. You know, for me... Good design starts with accessibility, and Polaris makes usability for everyone and building inclusive experiences part of its principles. You know, Polaris makes it clear what to do and what not to do. And it includes not just a clear set of guidelines for when and how to use each color in their palette, but graphic examples. And because no style guide is ever really finished... Polaris makes it easy for people to collaborate on its development. You know, it brings together this wealth of material that's relevant for people in designer or developer or other roles. But why not bring these design principles off the screen and into a three-dimensional world? An intern at Salesforce designed these beautiful design system posters. You know, they've all got San Francisco landmarks like the Golden Gate Bridge. And these now remind Salesforce of their design principles every day. In fact, you might choose to break the model altogether 
and combine all the elements of your visual identity and patterns onto a single sheet poster. You know, for your designers or developers, maybe even third-party suppliers, so they can hang it on their walls. You know, the possibilities are endless. So, I hope that I've helped you to think more creatively about the design of your own style guides and component and pattern libraries and why creative design can inspire and inform people better. Thank you so much for listening and for a fantastic day. We hope you enjoyed this presentation from UX Australia 2017. For more presentations from this and other conferences, please visit uxaustralia.com.au.